All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I think if there's been one gift to humanity from the world of video games and video game research, it has been that we better understand now a lot of ways that non-pharmaceutically we can alter our brain state and then we can alter our mood. That is a gift. A gift and a responsibility. Note to self, a little brain alteration, no drugs needed, can be a beautiful thing. But when you use video games to do the altering, well, there need to be parameters. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, your guide to this accelerating world. And that is game designer and futurist Jane McGonigal. Jane researches how games, yes, even stupid little games like Candy Crush, can actually be good for us if they're used the right way. And I know that you guys need to hear how, because as I've been traveling the country on tour for my book, Bored and Brilliant, which is, of course, about taking charge of our technology, inevitably, someone in the audience asks about how they can get themselves, or usually their kid, to lay off the games. Because most of us think of video games as time sucks or our dirty little secrets. I mean, admit it. You judge the person playing Candy Crush next to you on the bus the whole ride home. Or you judge yourself for playing Candy Crush the whole ride home. I did, until I talked to Jane. Her official title is Director of Game Research and Development at the Institute for the Future in Palo Alto. And Jane McGonigal's job is to dream up ways for the world to be different through new technologies and new models of thinking. She is an expert in how games, specifically video games, can boost imagination and intelligence. What I'm really interested in is looking at the emotions that we feel when we go into a state of play and the neurochemical changes that happen when we're in a state of play. And Jane's actually written a couple books about this, Super Better and Reality is Broken. She also plays a big role in Chapter 5 of my book, Born and Brilliant. We first spoke last year, but since people keep asking about this issue, we're going to put out the interview again, this time with some added material. And also, at the very end, we've got an audiobook giveaway, so stick around for that. But anyway, the first time that I interviewed Jane, we took out some stuff that I now realize is pretty important, like how life doesn't get do-overs, but games do, and so we can use them to help us cope with our everyday ups and downs, especially the downs. You just need to understand how your brain works when you play games and what are the sort of secret hacks to doing that in everyday life. And when I make a game, 
I'm trying to do that for people. But you can also learn to do it for yourself. You've talked about in both of your books, Super Better and Reality is Broken, about how games, specifically video games, can be linked to coping with depression and anxiety. Can you explain Mm -hmm. what is going on in our brains? Mm. Well, my favorite research finding from the hundreds of years that human beings have been studying play and games is from Brian Sutton Smith, who's a renowned psychologist of play. And he once said that the opposite of play isn't work. The opposite of play is depression. Mm. And that is true both at an intuitive level. You know, when we play games, we're optimistic about our ability to improve and get better. We have a lot of physical energy. We have access to positive emotions like excitement and pride in our accomplishments and joy and curiosity and wonder. And we have an easier time reaching out to other people when we're playing a game and they're playing it with us. We have common ground and shared attention. When you reverse all of those things, it's literally the clinical definition of depression. But more recently, fMRI research has shown us that at a neurological level, depression and video game play in particular are literally opposite. So the same two regions of the brain that tend to be chronically understimulated when we're depressed are chronically hyperstimulated when we play video games. And that to me is one of the most important things to understand right now because one, it explains why many people self-medicate depression and anxiety Mm. with video games. And it can help us understand maybe ways that they could use games more effectively so that they're not just avoiding reality or they're not creating addictions for themselves. And it can also help us in stressful situations uh, if we need that extra boost of motivation and optimism and the ability to learn and improve. But I guess I worry that often we use video games to numb ourselves. So playing Mm -hmm. a game to sort of keep my mind occupied so I'm not ruminating. That makes sense to Mm -hmm. me. But then there's another part of me that's like, well, why don't you just focus on why you feel so uncomfortable with this decision and try to work through that? Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. I think it depends on how you feel about the source of anxiety or depression. If you practice cognitive behavioral therapy, which a lot of Super Better draws on, one of the beliefs of that system is that you don't have to take all of your thoughts and feelings seriously, that just Mm. because they pop up in your mind doesn't mean that they are real or matter. So just because your brain is telling you that you're upset about something or something feels bad, I mean, it's not necessarily something that requires your time and energy and effort. You can choose to ignore it, which is also the same principle of meditation. The thought comes into your head. You say, thank you, mind, and I'm going to push it aside. I think there are a lot of practices from cognitive behavioral therapy to meditation that, like gameplay, allow you to decide that not all thoughts and feelings require you to engage with them and that you, you can choose which ones you want to engage with. So let's dive into that idea of using games to not to self-medicate, as you put it, or to escape, but to be um, purposeful or productive in some way. How do we know the difference? Can you give us some examples? Mm -hmm. So for the Super Better book, I did a meta-analysis of almost 500 peer-reviewed studies looking at how gameplay affects your 
real-life wellness in terms of your physical wellness, your social wellness, your academic or work performance, and your mood. And looking at these studies, you'll find that half of them say things like video games lead to depression, gameplay linked to social isolation, video games correlated with poor grades, more likely to use drugs. And then the other half says exactly the opposite. You'll see studies that say frequent video gameplay linked to greater happiness, stronger relationships, less drug use, better grades in school, more career advancement. And they're all great studies. They're all peer-reviewed. And the, the really puzzling paradox for many game researchers and game designers over the past decade is how do you make sense of this, this divergent body of research? Right, yeah. And it turns out that the number one indicator – of whether you will go down the track of games are not making your life better, maybe they are having a negative impact on your mood and your performance in your real life versus games are making you better and you feel empowered and you have better relationships. The one difference between those two paths is whether you see games as not being meaningfully related to reality. Mm. Do you think that games are an escape? Are you a different person when you play? Are you in a different reality when you play. If you look at games that way, then you tend to use them as a crutch. You are not able to bridge the gap between a game world and your real-life challenges. And so the worse that your real life gets, the more you play games. And it's this downward spiral, not good. And I guess for me, like I'm hoping that you can help me understand this, is that I have never not played a game to escape. Um, Mm -hmm. Longtime listeners here know that I had an issue with two dots. I have to admit that I found a sort of similar puzzle-like game. I don't even know the name of it. It looks like Tetris. It's about like building these long lines of blocks. And I found it Mm -hmm. incredibly relaxing. But also I played it while I was on a long vacation with my entire extended family. And part of it was like, Get me mentally the hell out of here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go put these blocks together. And I took it off Mm -hmm. my phone when I got back because I could see that anytime I was like tired or stressed out, I wanted to play the game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there is a lot of great research to suggest that you can play these very convenient video games for very short bursts, change your state of mind, change your mood, give you more physical energy, and then bring you back to your everyday life in a more positive state. And so what I try to do around games like that is share with people what the research says and encourage you to set a timer, play for that duration, and then go back to the rest of your life Mm -hmm. with this improved focus or this zen-like state. And the amount of gameplay time is 10 minutes for certain effects and 20 minutes for other effects. So if you're trying to calm your mind and body and return to the world with more mindfulness, 20 minutes is the amount of gameplay time that's recommended. If you're just trying to stop an anxiety attack or if you're ruminating on thoughts that are making you really upset and maybe you're replaying a conversation or something uh, traumatic that happened, 10 minutes of gameplay is recommended for that. Hmm. 10 minutes is recommended for squashing cravings. So if you're trying to not eat something or not smoke, uh, studies have found that 10 minutes of 
certain types of games, exactly like the type you described, like Tetris or Two Dots, are really effective for that. But you have to know what these doses of gameplay are, and then you have to try them out the same way that you would, you know, when you take two ibuprofen, Hmm. you're not going to take 20 or 200. You self-regulate. And and so if you try self-regulating with gameplay, you'll find that you can have a lot of benefits. I mean, is this kind of the new self-help in a way, this idea of using technology and the knowledge that we have about how our brains work to sort of change our mindset? Yeah, absolutely. It's very similar to a lot of spiritual practices or traditional wisdoms, but it's a tool that we can use, and it's affordable, and it doesn't have side effects, but also you can self-experiment. You can play this, you know, Japanese cat collecting game that I really like, you know, uh, Katsune. I've heard about it's, it. It's so cute. Um, maybe that's your game because you like collecting little cats. Um, maybe you want to, you know, blow things up, whatever. Um, find your game. See what its effects are. There are strategic things you can do with them, and it is very much, I think, in the line of self-help. You actually did make a game that helped you to bounce back from this horrible concussion you had. Are you still doing that? Can you give us examples of other things that you're building right now and how they might help people? Sure. Yeah, well, that game, Jane, the Concussion Slayer, that's what became super better, um, which, you know, I renamed it because people started adapting it for things other than concussion. And they were using it to try to get over bad breakups or lose weight or find a new job and and all sorts of things. And that simple set of rules that I created for myself to giving myself quests to do each day and connecting with allies and uh, having a notion of power-ups that I could collect and bad guys I could battle, that became an app that still exists and almost a million people have used it to try to tackle real-life health and depression and anxiety and personal changes they want to make. Okay, when we come back, using games to deal with a fear of flying, as I did, and whether Jane believes that games can be addicting. Plus, what to say to a kid who never wants to peel their eyes away from the screen. More with me and Jane McGonigal in just a minute. We're back. It's Note to Self. I'm Manoush Zomorodi, and I am talking with Jane McGonigal, Director of Game Research and Development at the Institute for the Future in Palo Alto. And we've been talking about how video games can actually help us snap out of bad moods or stop an anxiety spiral or maybe even stop smoking. It's all about how we use the games we love. And there's a listener, Amelia, who's into the same game that I've been into, which is Two Dots. And she found a really interesting, personal, specific way to control the amount of time she plays it. I organized my apps in a way on my home screen that I have a scripture. I'm a Bible reader. I have a scripture that just says Matthew 6.33. Keep on seeking first the kingdom. It's basically the title of my folder. What is more important? And so when I look at that, I just okay, do I really have time to do this right now? And sometimes I do, and sometimes it reminds me and it helps me to redirect to what I really have to do. 
Yeah, I've taken Jane's advice too. I have two dots again on my phone, but I swear, promise, up and down, that I only play for 10 minutes at a time, and then I put it away. It's like a instead of a glass of wine to chill out, 10 minutes of two dots, and I'm good. My buddy Brooke Gladstone, host of On the Media here at WNYC, uses her game of choice to stay in touch with people. It's not two dots. She's too nerdy for that. Words with friends. I'm currently in games with five different people. Sometimes it's eight. It's how I keep contact with my daughter who lives in L.A. But that's nice. Uh, it's how I keep contact with my friend on the Upper West Side. In fact, this very old friend of ours told us in the uh, Words <laughs> with Friends chat function that uh, his mother had died. Oh so you see, In the chat function of Words yeah, with Friends? Yeah. So games can connect us as long as that's what we want, to be connected to reality, to be out in the world. If you want to disconnect from the world, though, they can do that, too. It's tricky, especially for kids who are not exactly known for their introspection or ability to self-regulate. Ask them this question. What have you gotten better at since Mm. you started playing this game? You don't want to hear things like, I got better at slinging this virtual bird, or I'm really good at using this kind of power-up. That's literal. That's too concrete. But abstract things like, I don't give up when things are tough, or I am willing to try lots of strategies. I'm, I'm super creative in that way. If they can talk about these abstract things, those are skills and resources and abilities that persist in their mind outside of the game world. And you as a parent have a really important role in cultivating that mindset and cultivating that identity. The two things you need to do are, one, do not shame your children about the games they play. Never say something like, stop playing and go do something real or stop wasting your time and do something that matters. Because when you say things like that, You're sending them down the other path, the dark path that we don't want, where they think games have nothing to do with reality, where they don't Mm. matter, where they're trivial. Don't shame them about games or they will develop that escapist mindset. Instead, you want to talk to them about, you know, wow, that level looks hard. You know, what kind of skills do you need to be good at that level and ask them what they're getting better at? That conversation alone can really transform a young person in terms of, their ability to bring all of these gameful strengths to school, to sports, to their personal relationships, and to their self-concept. So do you believe in the concept of being addicted, quote-unquote, to games? You know, addiction science is going through an incredible, radical reinvention right now. If you look at the past decade, we started to believe that certain substances were addictive, like cocaine or heroin, and they did something to our brain and they kind of broke our brain. And then we started to look at technology as being like an addictive substance. But now the sort of disease model of addiction is going away. And the prevailing wisdom is that addiction is just the brain working the way it needs to work, the way it's evolved to work, to be goal-oriented and motivated to achieve positive outcomes, but it gets stuck on one particular stimulus. Mm. And for some people, that stimulus is a physical substance, like a drug. For some people, it's a person when you're falling in love. When you become a new mom, your baby is that sole goal that you are focused on and the reward loop of the brain gets fixated on. 
some people do get that loop fixated on video games. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything wrong with your relationship with that piece of technology. What you need to do is you need to expand your brain's awareness of other things that activate it in the same way. Mm, So video games are challenging problems that you wrestle with and you get to be creative and you get to learn things and collaborate with others. And if you think that's what's cool about video games, not how escapist they are, but all of these cool things you get to do, when you see opportunities to collaborate with others or to be creative and make something or to try something that's hard for you and get better at it, That will activate the brain in the same way as the video game, and you'll be drawn to it, and you'll have goal orientation that expands beyond the game. So that's that's what I recommend uh, individuals who feel addicted to games do. So can you give me some examples of, like, specific games and maybe what they can do if we play them with purpose or with a positive goal in mind? So I guess I'm thinking of, like, Minecraft— that's mm-hmm. become sort of the epitome of this idea of a creative game that parents mm-hmm. feel they don't need to put limits on and that it's positive. What are some other examples of ones? Any game that requires you to study it, to understand its rules, understand what all the resources are, what all the opportunities are, any game that is genuinely challenging is a wonderful game to develop these skills and abilities. You know, esports is a really popular thing now. These games that are incredibly strategically challenging and also require a lot of real-time coordination with your teammates and fast thinking and fast decision making. So games like League of Legends, any game like that has these benefits because what you're really trying to do is build up your ability to wrestle with things that you don't understand and to experiment and to get learning resources that you need and get mentored and keep trying and don't give up when it's hard and get better. Even the um, shoot 'em ups like Call of Duty or something? So I don't personally play games where I have to try to kill creatures. That's just not my thing. I don't encourage people to play those games if that's not something that feels natural to you or doesn't feel like fun to you. But for people who are drawn to those games, there is uh, quite a lot of evidence that when you play them with people you know in real life, whether you're on a team or you're playing online with friends, there are so many benefits in Mm -hmm. terms of the strength of your relationship, your ability to process a lot of information quickly and make better decisions under pressure faster. So there's cognitive benefits, there's social benefits. We don't see those benefits in the first-person shooter world when you are mostly playing against people you don't know. And that's because there is one negative effect associated with it, which for shorthand, you might call it testosterone poisoning, (laughs) um, which which means that when your opponent in a game is somebody who you don't know who they are, you kind of anonymize them. And this is the same thing that leads to flame wars on the internet and a lot of vicious trolling. When you don't know the other person, you're not going to have any social consequences for being a poor sport when you win. It creates a set of emotions um, that kind of jack up your testosterone, make you more unpleasant to be around for 
hours afterwards, less kind people that you perceive as weaker than yourself. You're more likely to be insulting or aggressive. And this continues after you've been playing. Hmm. So I always say if you love these games, you need to spend at least half of your time or more playing with people you know. So on the opposite end of the spectrum, or at least in my mind, is something like Candy Crush. Have you ever used that? Do you play or used it? Played it? (laughs) Have I used it? I'm on level... 894 or so. Woo, uh, have you I, used it? I play for probably five minutes every day. I mean, I think I have been doing that for several years now. I often do it at night before I go to sleep, which is counter to a lot of popular advice that you hear now, which is put your phones away for at least 45 minutes before you try to go to bed because of the blue light from the phone yeah. interferes with sleep cycles. I don't find that to be true for myself. Um, I use the game to turn off. I'm, you know, I'm a relatively new mom. I have 18-month-old twins. They keep me busy all day, even when I'm trying to work from home. They go to sleep. (laughs) They're asleep by like 7.30. Then I go right into work mode. Work, work, work. Busy, busy, busy. Getting everything done. Totally excited. Planning. And then I have to go to sleep. And so I have to get my brain switched from, you know, super productive, planning, slightly anxious because that's how I work best mode to not having thoughts in my head about work and what I have to do. And Candy Crush is one of those games. Yeah, it's a transition and a level or two of that. And my brain is effectively switched away from things that might otherwise have me, you know, lying awake, planning I'm thinking back, you know, I had terrible postpartum anxiety and Mm -hmm. had irrational fears at the time. Mm -hmm. And that is what they told me. They're like, something terrible is not going to happen to you when you go on the subway. Just acknowledge that this is something that is a postpartum anxiety thing Mm -hmm. and dismiss it. And I guess because it was so time specific and I'd gone through something, you know, I just had a baby. It was a huge life change. I was able to Mm -hmm. say, yeah, you must be right. That is just Mm -hmm. a silly thought. Goodbye. And maybe Mm -hmm. it's worth thinking about some of the other things that I've have been with me all along. Silly thoughts that maybe they should be dismissed as well. That's an interesting way to look at it. I love that because we're used to thinking about games as being the silly things, but maybe... Maybe our fears and and our self-hating sentiments are the silly things that we should be dismissive of. Jane McGonigal, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Oh, man, it has taken me most of my adult life to let go of all those little fears and anxieties that keep me up at night. Still a work in progress. And I've decided that, hey... If Candy Crush or Two Dots helps, okay, within reason, I can use it. I'm giving myself permission. And after your 10 minutes plugged in, playing your your game of choice, dear listeners, make sure you unplug. Because as we've been talking about here, that helps too. I have to admit, I haven't had a ton of time to get bored lately because I just wrapped up the awesome, bored and brilliant book tour, meaning lots of you. But I am going to get back into the habit. And if you, too, are trying to keep up your habit of giving yourself time to get bored this fall, well, we have a special giveaway for you. Five bored and brilliant audiobook CDs for the five listeners who send us their best, weirdest, most creative bored selfie. Put your boredom to the task. What do you look like when you're spacing out and having your best ideas? Is this kind of weird that we're asking you 
to put down your phone and then get bored and then pick up your phone and take a picture of yourself getting bored and then send it to us so that you can get an audiobook about being bored? Yes, super weird, like a snake eating his own tail. But that's the beauty of this show. As you know, it's the beauty of our weird relationship that we have, listeners. So send us your selfie on Twitter, at Note to Self, or Instagram with the hashtag GetBored. We will pick the winners next week. Not on social media? Totally cool. Email us at NoteToSelf at WNYC.org. And even if you're not doing it for yourself, do it for the person in your life who still owns a CD player. They will be extremely grateful extra points if you tell us how you spaced out to come up with your selfie idea did you watch a pot of water come to boil maybe you watch the grass grow so many different ways to keep the movement going hashtag get bored the note to self team is Jen Poyant Kat Aaron Megan Kunane and Joe Plord many thanks to Matt Boynton and Adriana Tapia for their help this week too note to self is a production of WNYC Studios I'm Anoush Samarodi. In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap, the job's a game. (laughs) 